have 10 episodes and 10 weeks. Uh, we are officially back in 2021. This is a new thing that I will be doing. First of all, welcome back. Glad you're here. Glad to have you. This will be uh, what I believe uh, one of the best sets of episodes that we have had uh, in a long time. Obviously, because we haven't done an episode since September, like early September. So, um, yeah, be prepared. Get along for the ride. Um, what this is, basically, and I'll kind of provide a little bit of context for you guys. Uh, I was, uh, when I started the show, basically, going on five years ago, which is how long I've been doing this, which is crazy to me. But when I started this about five years ago, uh, I started it in my college dorm room, Um and it was easy for me to put out one every week because they didn't have a job. Once I got here to Madonna and I started getting into the inner workings of things and, and kind of getting through uh, just b- basically being a full-time employee, uh, I no longer had time to put them out. So what I decided maybe late November, early December range, I think it was late November when I when I tweeted whatever gif I tweeted, but um, I, I decided that I wanted it to come back and I wanted to do it in a season format. So what you're seeing right now is season, I believe this is season four, considering this is the fourth year of SID cast. There will be 10 episodes, 10 weeks, as I have said, episodes 164 all the way through. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. You will have this set of 10 episodes will be in January, running through about mid-March. Then you will have another 10 episodes. <clears throat> excuse me one more time. Another 10 episodes running from I'm thinking about mid to late June, that should take you through August, maybe even into September, and then we'll just start that all over again. So that's what you will get. Uh, So if you don't see anything in April, May, what have you, uh, that is by design. Uh, I have recorded eight episodes already. Uh, I am recording one, I think coming next Thursday or something like that. I think that's what we're going to aim for. And then I got one more that's going to have to be the week after that. Um, so yeah, we are all ahead. I don't have to scramble to get a guest. I don't have to do anything because I've had, I've had some of these interviews guys since the beginning of December, I've been sitting on them about a month. And by the time some of them come out, I'll be sitting on them for about three months. So whole different role than what you're used to. Uh, a lot of current events are not involved in these episodes because of the, the, recording date uh that invo- that involves today's episode i am recording this um after doing some brand management for us uh with uh, the, the storming of the uh this you know basically uh dumbasses in uh washington deciding that they uh, no longer liked to play by the rules and the absolute white privilege that <laughs> the privilege that they have just to walk right in steal and take and go wherever they wanted uh, in the Capitol building. So this was something we did not talk about. Just know that, uh, I am along with a lot of other people in the sports information and just the sport industry in general. Um, I mean, there's not much we can do other than condemn them. And, uh, I I don't know. There's, there's, there's going to be a time to where we look back on this in the history book and think about how wild this was. And hopefully when we look around, um, people a little bit more open-minded, and uh, obviously not taking that into their own hands when they definitely should not because why? I don't know. I don't know what goes through people's heads sometimes. But anyway, um, one a couple of things I want to get through. The first being uh, Collins Sports Cosida, basically, uh, celebrating the fifth annual Cosida Membership Recognition Week. This will be in January 20th through the 26th. Sports information directors, public relations websites, social media statistics, and much more as as the strategic communicators for college and university athletic departments and conference offices throughout the country. Thank you all for you do for your thank you all for what you do in support of your student athletes, coaches, and institutions. I am on committee for this. That is why I am speaking about this. Uh, for more information about that, if you've never participated in it, not quite sure what it was, or if you're new to this, you can go to cosida.com slash thank your SID. And that's the hashtag we're going to be using. I personally, I hear a lot of people say I shouldn't be bragging about myself. It's all about this, this and that. Uh, you're not valuing, valuing yourself high enough and what you do. Um, I get it. If you might be shy or you might have a legitimate, uh, legitimate gripe with 
saying, you know, uh, I, I want to thanks, basically, is what you say. And there's no shame in asking for what you want. Um, I, I think people think that there's a lot of guilt with t- taking part in this. Uh, and I'm here to tell you that uh, I, I think the world will be a lot better off if we're able to just think ourselves and think one another. Even if you just don't think yourself, um, thank someone else in the profession. I mean, it's just just that easy. So uh, second bit of business before I swirl again into today's episode. Um, it caused, And this is going to be a little bit of personal information for you guys um, as far as money. It cost me $20 a month to host the show. Uh, that being on my provider, it cost me $20. Uh, that is something that I have been working with to try and uh, uh, alleviate some of that pressure a little bit. Uh, it'll obviously um, be a lot easier for me personally if I didn't have to pay $20 a month if it came out of somewhere else. So what I have done, and I will post a, a, a link to this somewhere, uh, I have started a Patreon for the show. Now, if you choose not to participate, that's completely fine. Um, if I could go as low as $1, I could. Uh, what, what I have two Patreon uh, tiers, basically, for subs. Um, the first being uh, like a, a $3 commitment per month. So that's what, $36 a year. That covers me for about a, a month and, and then some. Um, $36 per year. Uh, comes with basically no benefits. You're just being uh, a nice supporter of the show. Um, I'll, I'll just basically say thank you, our Patreon supporters, yada, yada, yada. Um, then I have a $5 a month tier. And what that does is it gets your name in the show notes. And uh, I also, I, I'm toying right now with the idea of saying it in the episode. So um, if that's something that you're interested in or you don't really care about, you just want to give five bucks or three bucks, whatever you want, uh, that's fine too. You can do, go that by uh, patreon.com slash I think it's SIDcast. I'll have to make sure that it is uh, before this airs. But um, yeah, I, I, like I said, if I could go as low as $1, I would. That is not an option. $3 is the lowest apparently. So that's just something I want to put out there. If you're interested in it, cool. If not, don't mind. It's your money. You do with it what you want. So, um, yeah, we were going to start off. This is episode 164, guys. And uh, we have Jess Poole on, as you can tell by the title, from Chicago State. Uh, Jess is obviously uh, a vet in this industry and uh, working with some great stuff. Uh, we talk a variety of topics. Um, one that's kind of off the top of my head that I really like was kind of... Uh, like when you're comfortable someplace, like obviously you make someplace your home, then there's not really the growth. I mean, some of you guys, you might feel the need to wiggle around and grow in your in your in your position, and and some places don't provide that for you because people, once they get, what I've seen, once they get kind of higher up, they just don't leave, and that's completely fine to them because job security and they've got their family there, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, what to do when it's time to leave your comfort zone? Um, also, kind of marketing yourself as being an SID that is really, really good at, say, something like women's basketball. Those are a couple, uh, and how to, uh, you know, go forward with that. Those are just a couple of uh, different things that I that I can think of off the top of my head. But I'll stop rambling. I think we've gone on for almost nine minutes now. I don't think any other, any other uh, intro is going to go quite as long as this one. But we will start off 160, episode 164 of SID Cast with Jess Poole at the Chicago State Cougars. And uh, her sport background growing up right here on SID Cast. Um, I always knew I wanted to work in sport. I think that I mainly thought that I was going to be working for ESPN the magazine or doing something written. So I really didn't know about the SID communications field until I got into college. Um, and I was, I was at a journalism major at the university of Missouri. Um, but really, um, and sorry to any J school people that are listening to this, especially Liz Brixey. Um, 
I was taking all of the classes because I thought that I was going to go into law and wanted to make sure that I had mm-hmm. a really good writing background. So I figured a journalism de- degree would be really good for law school and all of the the briefs and things that you would write. So I that's really what I thought. And then I kind of um, lucked into working in the athletic department. Uh, two of my good friends from home on the men's basketball team there and they were like hey like come do this this is an extra excuse for you to hang out with us when you're not already hanging out with us um and from there it just kind of took off um i worked um shout out to the mizzou crew under chad moeller there um for a long time and learned everything i mean that was the foundation that i have as a communications professional professional was from mizzou um, by the time I was a junior, I believe, I guess I was a junior, I was working with softball full-time. And during the, the primary softball contact was uh, also the wrestling contact. And mm-hmm. we had three, I want to say three straight years of working, uh, hosting the NCAA championships in St. Louis. And so um, it was an overlap time where, you know, softball's in the early preseason tournaments. So I like got to travel with them as a student and be their SID as a student um, at all of these really amazing tournaments. Um, and by the time I was a senior, I was in charge full time of the women's tennis program. So I just, it was, it was a combination of things. I liked sport and writing and it just worked. What did you want to do with the law degree? You know, I, that's a really good question. I always <laughs> thought that I would, um, I thought family law would be something that I would maybe do. Uh-huh. Um, not a hundred percent sure, um, you know, what I, what I really would have done with it. Um, I will say that I did take the LSATs. Um, and, but I knew like, I was not going to be someone that was going to go to do all of that. I just knew mm-hmm. that I was going to be in sports at, the, at that point. Yeah, I, I think and many people have heard this story, too, from me. Um, I planned to be a coach. That was like when I was in high school, I kind of had this like little mini like existential crisis. You know, I was like, what am I going to do? What am I you know, what what's beyond this for me? And I thought about being like an EMT. Um, I thought about uh, I thought about, man, I don't even know what I thought about, but um, and then I was like, oh, I could just work in sport. And then I was like, well the only thing I see on TV are coaches. Right. Like I, I have no idea who the hell all these workers are on the, on the, on the bench and everything. I, I thought that the coaching was the way to go. So when I went to college, I was a sport management major. Um, I went to one college and I transferred to another, but when I was at that one college, um, I quickly realized uh, via meeting my now boss uh, at a different school, which is a, a long story. Um, I quickly realized that there was like a whole plethora of things. And I was, I was shocked, honestly. Yes, it is. That's kind of how I felt. I will never forget the first day I kind of walked into the, um, into the Hearn Center, which is where um, the athletic department at Missouri was. I I had to bypass all of these other departments like compliance and ticketing Mm -hmm. and all of these other things. And I didn't really know what they were. Um, and it's funny now because as an administrator, um, there, those are face, you know, and departments I interface with pretty much every single day. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's definitely, uh, I I've talked to many people, many, many, like, I think by the time we're done, I'm going to check my notes here real quick. Just how many episodes I'm going to be at after this season, I, you know, five days of my life is on this show. Um, we're going to be done at episode 173. I've done 173 of these things and I've only, I can count just off the top of my head, a handful of people that knew what an SID was in high school. A lot of people kind of like, kind of like your story where they either had a friend that worked there or they had, were friends with athletes or they just walked in on a a visit one day to the campus. And then they just stumbled across this profession. It's, it's, it's incredible to me. Yeah, it's very interesting. It's a it's a it's a profession that's very unique in its you know in just its description, but it's also very unique the number of people that get into it because of you know, again like 
someone could have had a law degree and in, in be an SID. Someone could have an engineering degree and be an yeah. SID. Like there's just so many different avenues to be able to get into this uh, field, which I think is a, a good thing, actually. I think it's, it's one of those that, you know, you don't have to be, as long as you can write, <laughs> which uh-huh. that's a, the key piece of this, as long as you can write well, um, a lot of the skill sets that you learn uh, being a SID or communications professional are very much things that you can pick up on the fly um, and yeah. come with experience. Yeah, they're not really taught in class skills or something. Because right, exactly. I had a uh, I had a sport communications class when I had my alma mater USI, mm-hmm. and they list you know I don't like the beginning of the textbook. It's like what careers can you do with you know sport communication, and then one of them says sports information director. And the more and more I'm kind of going through this, I'm like this is a lot more to do about like how to conduct like you know major press conferences <laughs> and a lot less. <laughs> On how right. to be the an real exciting. question is, can you stat a volleyball game? Yes. That's the real question. <laughs> Trial by fire is what it is. Can't wait until we get our new GA. We're just going to toss him or her right in there. That's all you can do with volleyball. It moves so quickly. It moves yeah. so quickly. Although I will say genius makes it a little bit easier. I think it's a little bit more intuitive. Um, yeah. I, I got the chance to use it once. I spent the last year. I've only been here a couple months. I spent the last year at Indiana University. Okay. Um, I got to do it once uh, for Jeremy. Yeah. Um, I think it was Oregon State, Oklahoma is who I got to do it. And turns out, I, I don't know, like, if anybody else feels the same way. I don't know if you, you feel the same way about this. Um, I'm, like, perfect for it because, like, for some reason, I could just turn my brain off and just type. That's why I was so good at the stack crew stuff. But, like, genius, like, I could pay attention to the game. I could actually have fun at what I was doing just because it's so, like, you can't hear me? Oh, hang on. You cut out. Hang on. You cut out. Oh, I think you're back now. I think you're back. Yeah, I, you, and you cut out too. So maybe can you I don't hear know. me now? Yeah, I can hear you now. Your, uh, your, your bar went white. Okay, weird. So I don't know. It must just be some internet thing. But um, yeah, I forget where I was going with that story, but that's all right. Um, so obviously it was time to leave Missouri. Um, you, you wound up in this new field that you learned all about. You had an experience that I haven't really heard of a whole lot um, being not only were you an undergrad, but you got to travel as an undergrad. You got to be with a program that, you know, is, is pretty visible. I mean, it's not as visible as like a, a football or a women's or men's basketball game, but um, a pretty visible program. And then you got the experience of being primary contact. So what was next for you? What was kind of life like at that time for you now that it was time to leave Columbia? Yeah, um, I I applied to every single probably internship as most of us do um, in the country. Uh, And I ended up taking an internship at the University of Denver um, with Eric Bakker. And I think the reason that it was intriguing to me was because it was a... One, I was going to work with their men's lacrosse team, um, oh, yeah. and they, um, they weren't as they weren't as good as they were now then. Uh-huh. But it was actually I was the the very first time that they made it to the NCAs. I was their contact, so it was a neat experience. Um, I'll, I'll never one I will never forget. It was really really cool to kind of see um, the trajectory of the year, and then you know being able to work at the University of Denver, which is a smaller school that has big time ice hockey. Mm -hmm. And um, I would say that the the soccer programs were very good there as well, both men's and women's, and then um, growing at that time, growing lacrosse programs. But again, you're in the shadow of Colorado and Colorado State, um, you know, Air Force even to some degree. And so it forced me to learn how to pitch stories um, and how to be outside of the box, which is something that I think I still do yeah. every day in my job here, um, working in a, in a major media market um, at a school that's a little bit smaller. So a lot of the lessons I learned there, I still take with me today. But it was uh, working at that internship at the University of Denver was quite was awesome. Um, it didn't pay me a lot, but I got to live in Denver and um, really got to soak up some of the Denver life while also learning how to become a better professional. And 
Um, Eric Bakker, um, I'm grateful to him because he gave me a lot of opportunity. I got to work with um, the hockey program a, a bit. I got to work with um, just all of the programs there. Um, really learned a lot about how to, a lot of management stuff from Eric. He did a really good job of allowing us to manage um, you know, I was an intern, yes, but I never felt like an intern. I felt like a full-time employee, um, which, you know, I was grateful for at that time because it gave me a lot of opportunity to grow my skill set. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, I mean, I enjoyed it. And then uh, from there, kind of took a little bit of a detour because – and I guess I will say I'm not really sure why I took this detour, but I did, and I'm grateful for it um, – Worked on the eight from Denver when my internship was up. Um, I had a really unique opportunity to work with the ATP tour. It was right during the, which is the men's professional tennis tour. Yeah, my mom's a huge tennis nerd. Okay, cool. Yeah. Awesome. I like your mom. Me too. (laughs) Um, She, um, so it was a time when um, your mom will probably remember this, but so doubles scoring had changed and they had gone to rally scoring. And they were looking for ways to promote some of their doubles, longtime doubles teams. And they hired me on in a, they basically created a position for me. Um, I was the doubles promotion coordinator and I learned a lot about marketing um, as well as doing a lot of the communication stuff. And ironically, my boss um, on the, on the tour um, was a former SID who got to start as an SID at Xavier um, and he mm. had been volunteering at the ATP, the, the, the there's a master series tournament um, in Cincinnati every year um, that he had been working at, got on board full time with them and then kind of brought me on. And it was really, really cool. I got to go to the US Open. I got to go meet all of these awesome, cool tennis players. Um, I was the family favorite for a long time um, because I, I rubbed elbows with Roger Federer and, you know, Serena, all of these people mm-hmm. that you know, that you wouldn't necessarily as a, what, 22-year-old, 22, 23-year-old be able to rub elbows with. Um, but the thing about that position was it, um, I enjoyed it. Like, it was really fun, but it also didn't give, you know, you're not necessarily all the time dealing with players, you're dealing with third-party people. Um, and so I really missed the interaction, like, with, you know, sitting down and eating a meal with a student athlete, like you can't do that on, um, with the professional tennis player, like they're going to come in, they're going to do their media and then they're going to go. And you don't really, you know, unless you like really work at it. And so some of the players I did, um, you don't really get to build that relationship, which I think is the cornerstone of what communications is. Um, and so after, I want to say after about six months, seven months, um, they actually eliminated the position because we had kind of gotten it to a place where it was steady and could be absorbed into the regular communications duties. And it was at that point um, that I knew that I wanted to go back into college and be in the college setting. And um, luckily for me, uh, the University of North Carolina Greensboro, um, go Spartans, um, there was a position, a women's basketball position um, opened up there and it, it just worked out. Um, you know, sometimes, uh, you get a job in December, um, and that's, and that's, you know, that's awesome. So, yeah. Yeah. I I think it it does feel good to be that person, the family to where you're actually like, you know, like at these big events, cause my, my, I I don't, I don't want to say like I was a favorite or anything, no, every respect to my brother, you know, whatever, but like, I remember being at like these games and I got to do these things. Like when I worked the division two elite eight, my parents could like, you know, flip the TV and look at me, you know, that things like that. And they even do that. Now I I was at a, I was meeting my cousin, my fiance and I went to Lansing to meet my cousin. She was at a wedding. and um, I was watching the Indiana Penn state game. And uh, my mom had texted me and she's like, man, I wish you were still work there. just because of like how cool it was, you know, for her and they've become such fans and everything. But um, I want to go back to this kind of this um, because, because we're dealing, I wouldn't say it's like a, a negative thing, but like being in a market to where you're not a priority. Am I, can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. All right. So 
being in a market to where um, you're not a priority, which is obviously hard for some people. Some people, you know, let it slide. They let it be what it is, and they're completely content with going under the radar. Um, what was it like for you guys? Because for us, we are a small private Catholic NAI school in Metro Detroit with four other conference or three other conference schools in the same area. Um, what was it like trying to gain that attention and making the best out of your situation um, and, and being basically the identity of your university without, you know, trying too hard with getting the spotlight on you? Um, it's tough. I think you, I think it puts a lot of, I don't want to say that, I don't think it puts a lot of pressure, but I think it, mm-hmm. may, it puts the onus on you to be able to mine the stories and the make sure that you're pitching the right ones. Um, and it's not going to be, your stories have to be bigger and better, or at least the same as the bigger schools that are in your, your space to get the coverage. I also think it puts the onus back on us to make sure that um, we're telling our own stories. Um, and that's kind of how I, that's the approach that I've taken here at Chicago state. And then also here, um, at Denver, I let, you know, I let it be what it was, but when I had a really good story, um, obviously like lacrosse, men's lacrosse going to their very first ever NCAA, you know, tournament, um, I pitched that story, but I pitched it in an untraditional way, right? Like I, instead of hitting up um, you know, just the regular news media, I hit up every single morning show. Um, and I said to my coach, I said, we're going to make the morning, the morning rounds, but we're going to have to get up really early to do it. Um, and it worked. So I think you just have to think about different ways to do things. Um, but I think that the, the premise is still there, right? Like you have to, our job is to be storytellers and we're the keepers of the story. And so I think it's important to make sure that we're, we're mining the big stories that we're able to share with, um, you know, the world essentially. And it doesn't matter if it's, um, you know, sometimes you strike out, right? Like you could have Mm -hmm. the best story and just because of your location or the, your size of your school or whatever, you could strike out, but you can always put that story on your website and you can always send it out. And you can always, you know, think, you know, I think, thank goodness for social in this, in this day and age, because social can take things viral. Um, so I think it's just a matter of being really good at your job. Um, and, you know, it shouldn't matter what market you're in. It shouldn't matter who's around you. If you're really good at your job um, and are able to mine those stories and cultivate those stories, they're going to get out there, um, whether it's on a big scale or a small scale, I think is, you know, it's important, but it's not the end all be all as long as the stories are getting cold. I think it's important after what you just said there to kind of SIDs to look at themselves in the mirror and just realize like, I am good at my job. Like you are doing a lot more than what anybody, I, I would argue that the hardest working profession in college athletics maybe the communications and professional athletics as well as I'm sure you know. Yep. That might be a tough mental barrier for some people. Um, how would you, I mean, uh, how would you go about, you know, suggesting advice to, to somebody that might be thinking like, um, well, I can't do this because I'm not good at this or I can't do that because I'm not good at that. I mean, how do, how do you work through that? I think it's just, I think the key there is to always be a, a lifelong learner, perpetual mm-hmm. learner. Um, you know, you if you have a per self-perceived weakness, turn that weakness into a strength by, um, you know, I may not be the best graphic designer, uh, but I will watch YouTube videos and try to figure things out, um, you know, so that I can get better. Um, I think that how you see yourself is how other people will see you. So I think it's really important to be self-aware. Um, if you feel like something's a weakness, what can you do to make it a positive? Um, what can you do to make it a strength? And maybe it won't be a strength, become a strength overnight. It'll take some practice, but you'll be able to know, well, you know, I did this and I did this and I did this. And you, you know, if it's, for example, if you're not the best graphic maker or whatever, but like you can look at a graphic from, you know, day one. And then as you, continue to grow, look at a graphic from day 30, um, you're going to see change, right? Like, so Mm -hmm. 
I think it's really important to, um, it's important to be self-aware. If there are things that you feel are a weakness, like make note of that. But it's also important to, to grow yourself and be proud of your growth. I think that it's not, it's not, it's not healthy to wallow in um, your perceived shortcomings. Um, do something about it, right? Um, mm-hmm. And be proud of the growth that you make. Like I, this is like this public speaking, I've gotten a lot better at it, but in the initially, like, again, I wanted to write. I also wanted to be a lawyer. So maybe I'm somewhere in the, in the middle <laughs> with the whole public speaking thing. Um, but I think that as the more you do something, the better you become at it. And yes. so, and you have to celebrate the small victories. I, you know, I say that to SIDs all the time. Um, you know, the first basketball game of the season, if your only mistake is the printer didn't work or you didn't get a box score, like you're doing okay. You know, the things that we do are important. Yes. But they're also not brain surgery or rocket science or, you know, so it's just important to keep everything in perspective. I kind of, I'll tell you this. Um, I've like, we've always wanted to do motion stuff. Um, I, I'm also kind of our, I knock on wood, uh, graphic digital media, you know, uh, brand manager. So I'm really big. Yeah, I'm really big into that design stuff. Um, we want to do a lot more motion just with, because of what recruits are saying that they wanted to see and everything. So I made a motion thing for men's basketball last week, okay. last week. And I was like, man, this is good. I like it. Can't wait for our first commit. And then I made one yesterday, and in my humble opinion, it blows the other one out of the water in a week. See? And I'm like, damn, now I have to go back and change the other one. But I didn't. I just kind of let it be what it was. But um, I say that because, like you said, it's incremental change. You're not going to be great at something right off the bat. I think that there – I read a book, I think it was years ago. I haven't haven't gotten around to rereading it yet. Actually, I think it's over there. Um, I think it's called the 1% rule, and it was just doing 1% – of something every single day. If I asked you to do, if I asked you to start with one push-up today, you do one push-up, you're done. You're like, Dave, that was pretty easy. I could do, I don't know, 20, 25, 50. That's okay. I ask you to do two push-ups tomorrow. I ask you to do three push-ups a day after that. And I do, I ask you to do that for a thousand days in a row. You're doing a thousand a day. It's just, just change like that. And all of a sudden you're doing things that you, I mean, hell, nobody can do a thousand push-ups, but you know what I mean. Yeah. So it's the incremental change and everything doesn't have to be so big at one time. If you're able to do small changes and just move the needle a little bit, that's where the growth comes from. It's not from, it's not from huge home runs. I mean, they, yes, they can be, but you're not swinging home runs every single at bat you get. Right. I always say, learn from everything. Every opportunity is an opportunity to learn. Even when things bomb, like those, that's probably your biggest growth opportunity. When things just don't go well, um, everything kind of falls apart. Like that's a, the biggest opportunity you have to grow. You know, I working with coaches, they always tell me I learn way more from the losses than the wins. And oh, I think yeah. that's true in every, prof- in every profession, you know, we, you win, you learn way more from the things that don't go well than you do from the things that do go well. So, And it's also kind of taking it back to the SID route. You got to allow yourself to make mistakes too. Kind of like what you said. If your printer doesn't work, like it's not on you. Our first home basketball game before we paused all activities, I went to plug in the Ethernet port into the floor and I, I plugged it in and nothing is there. The Ethernet port fell into oblivion underneath the the court. So what we wow. we obviously you adapt. Yeah, I know it was a hellish situation, but obviously you adapt and you just you record the game. We post it later. I mean that's what you do. You adapt on the fly. When I was younger in this, maybe twenty years old, I think as an intern, um, I measured my days and wins and losses. I would go home feeling good about myself if I started the cross game correctly, and if I had too many mistakes, I counted as a loss. And I feel like there's a lot of SIDs out there that might be in that same framework that might have a competitive mentality like me. And you need to break down on that as well. Cause that kind of like what you said, that's, that's like wallowing in your shortcomings, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, I think being, I think being competitive is great, but I, you can't wallow in the, 
and the, the mistakes, because one thing someone told me, and maybe it was Whitney Renew from the University of Missouri when I was a student there. Um, she told me, if you wallow in the one mistake, you're going to make a second mistake, and then you're going to make a third mistake, and then you're going to make a fourth mistake. So yeah. recognize the mistake, fix it, and move on. <laughs> so Yeah, exactly. I always, I always said that to her. I always attribute that to her. Perfect. Um, yeah, and I think we're, we're, at least for me, we're, we're thankful in a situation to where our coaches are very, like, easygoing, and they allow mistakes as well because they know that their programs are, are perfect, too. I mean, like, if you, if you just have, you know, open communication, like, we got a new scoreboard, there's going to be bugs, or we're switching to a new stat program, there's, there's going to be some hiccups. Like, I'm, I don't understand. Like, what, what do they expect? So. Absolutely. And everything's, I almost feel like everything's fixable to some degree, right? Mm-hmm. Like, with statting, stats can be fixed. Um, you know, press um, typos can be edited. You know what I mean? Like, everything to some degree is fixable. Um, yes, there are things that are not so fixable sometimes, but if you think about like, okay, is this a fixable mistake? Um, or, you know, or is this a bigger, bigger than that mistake? Um, you know, just keep, again, keeping everything in perspective, I think is, is key. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So uh, we always do this. We always go off on, on tangents and I just don't want to stop. <laughs> I, yeah, and I just don't want to stop. I want to keep talking about it, but I mean, we're at UNC, UNC Greensboro for you. You're obviously at Chicago state now. So fill in the gaps for us. Um, obviously, you elevated your position a little bit, which is something that I did want to speak with you about. Sure. Um, UNC Greensville to Chicago State, I'm sure that that's, that's some time to fill. So uh, how did it happen? And uh, again, life opportunities, what, what was going on for you? Yeah, so everything was an opportunity, right? Um, UNC Greensboro was awesome. Um, they are the, I still am in touch with everybody that I worked with there. Um, we built our own little family. We all grew together. Um, some of my closest friends, um, I, I met from my year and a half there. Um, from UNC Greensboro, I had the opportunity to go home and work at the University of Michigan, which is, um, you know, for a kid that grows up in Ann Arbor, um, that's always a dream. So it was cool to work there. I got to work with football. I worked with football. I worked with um, the men's soccer team when they went to the final and when they went to the college cup, um, Mm -hmm. which was one of the most awesome experiences. I worked with women's basketball there. I worked with men's and women's tennis there. Um, You know, the one thing about that place is that it's home. Um, It is a place where, that's my allegiance. Like every Saturday I watch Michigan football uh, Mm -hmm. for better or worse these days. Um, (laughs) um, You know, that's home. And so sometimes I think when you get too close, you miss out on the spectator experience. And for me, um, I loved working there. Uh, It was great, but I also was beginning to noticed that it was hard to be the fan that I wanted to be um, because I worked there. I knew where the sausage, I knew what the sausage was made of. And so it was, it became difficult. So um, at that point I decided that I wanted to really, as I looked more broadly at my career, I wanted to see what level of college athletics I wanted to be at um, and which kind of suited me. So I had an opportunity to go to Dartmouth College in the Ivy League, um, Mm. which was an awesome experience. Um, You know, I a big proponent of higher ed. And so working with student athletes who are student athletes by day and working on research papers to cure cancer by night was really a unique experience. It also got me to a different state, a different part of the country that I hadn't been in. Um, and it was really good. Um, but the lure of the SEC came calling. Um, and, you know, I, by that point, I had really built somewhat of a reputation as a women's basketball communications professional. Um, I had worked with women's basketball from UNC Greensboro to Michigan to Dartmouth um, and had really found a niche there. And so uh, Ole Miss called and I was like, Mississippi, 
New Hampshire to Mississippi. And I thought about it for a little bit, but I thought that it would be um, an opportunity to get back to a bigger conference um, and to live in a different part of the country. Um, and so I kind of took a little bit of a leap of faith, I would say, um, and decided why not, you know, and I went and probably had the best four, almost five years of my life. Um, mm. I worked with women's basketball there, but then I also kind of morphed into a secondary football contact there as well. And really, um, those two sports, I, I mean, obviously women's basketball in the SEC is women's basketball in the SEC. Um, right. I think you, if you want to see good women's basketball, that's where you go. And so it was an opportunity to work with, you know, the highest level athletes. And then um, obviously working with football in the SEC was really cool too. So it was, um, it was a cool experience for me. I was able to grow. Um, I was able to manage, which is something that I use a lot now. So it was really, um, it was a formative, formative years, um, in my career. Uh, but I will say at some point at schools like Ole Miss, um, Michigan, you know, the bigger schools, there becomes a cap where you can't go sure. you can't go I know, I know what you're saying yes yeah and so I had reached that um you know I was already working with you know I was working with football which is what many people you know that's their their dream I was already working with football um and so I had an opportunity um to go to Vanderbilt and I was there for a year worked with their football program and women's basketball somewhat of a lateral move, I guess, in people's eyes, but I was able to build a little bit more of my um, administrative capabilities at Vanderbilt. I was did a little, a lot more on the marketing side. I did a lot more with the video and digital side and kind of not necessarily producing it, but helping to um, show what those areas can do for the women's basketball program and, and the football program. And then one day I got a call from Florida Atlantic. Um, quite honestly, um, I thought that they were calling to tell me they were coming to poach one of my coaches. And so I, you know, I was waiting on the other end of the phone to be like, yeah, we're going to hire so-and-so. Can you send a bio or can you do this? And they were calling to offer me a position um, as a, an external there um, to oversee their external. So I oversaw corporate, corporate sponsorship marketing and communications there and was moved very firmly into the administrative role at that point. And it was, it was, I wasn't expecting it. I'll be honest with you. I was not expecting it. Um, and I also thought it was an opportunity I couldn't miss, couldn't pass. So, um, I took it and I was really green, right? Like I, you know, mm -hmm learning how to do a lot of things and management's really hard. Managing people's really hard. Um, you know, when you're reporting directly to the athletic director, managing that relationship is really hard too. And so, um, it was an awesome learning experience. Um, but I, I don't know that it was a hundred percent the right fit for me. And so, um, I've landed, you know, a friend of mine who is now my boss. Um, um, got the athletic director job at Chicago state and said, what do you think about coming to help me build this program? And here I am. Yeah. There's so much I want to ask you about that. The first I want to say, um, finding your niche in, in, in this, in this industry, um, a lot, a lot of the smaller level and even to an extent, some of the higher level as well. Like you're stuck doing, I wouldn't say stock. That's not the right word for it, but, um, you have to do many sports and you build your, you said you built your reputation around women's basketball. I mean, me personally, I would love to keep with my lacrosses. That was my one caveat. I had to take when I got this job that I kept my lacrosses. I want to work with football. I want to work with ice hockey. I want to do all these things. So how did you build your brand around that? I, I guess your personal brand about being one of the best women's basketball SIDs out there. You know, this is going to sound really funny since I'm like helping, since I'm a brand person. Um, I didn't, I didn't really build it. I just worked really hard and wanted to um, make sure that I was doing the best for my coaches and student athletes in the program. Um, 
I also really looked at a lot of the other bigger programs that were around me to see what they were doing and kind of um, gleaned ideas from what they were doing and tried to implement them on our, you know, for our coaches and student athletes and just program in general. Um, I never really looked at it as, I mean, in hindsight, it was, that is brand building. That's exactly mm -hmm. what you're doing, but right. I never looked at it in that way. Um, I just wanted to be really good. Um, I wanted to, you know, I wanted my game notes to look like, you know, uh, Tennessee's game notes. I wanted, you know, I wanted to find the nuggets. I listened to listened and watched broadcasts that weren't mine to figure out what game notes, what nuggets were they using on the broadcast so that I could make sure that I had them in, in my repertoire. So, um, I was a real student of the women's basketball game, I guess. Um, you know, and really tried to tailor everything I did to what I knew people would use. Um, and so that's kind of how I, I did it. Um, I really wanted to, I wanted to be seen as a valuable part of the team. Um, and I think everywhere I, I went, um, that's that's how the coaches that I worked with viewed me and so I just wanted to continue to make sure that I was providing value and so that's kind of how I did it mm. uh, you mentioned that you that obviously well you shouldn't you didn't mention you you explained how you've moved to many different places many different areas many different roles um yeah when you get to that cap because it, it does exist I mean there are people that have been in their roles you know 30 some odd years um, moving away from that in a place that you enjoy being in a place like a Michigan or an Ole Miss, um, moving away from a comfortable situation to maybe kind of like what you said at FAU, you're completely green to it. Um, obviously it makes you a little nervous, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I read a quote last night in the book that I'm reading now. Um, it was like, if something makes your heart flutter or make your heart like beat faster, it's probably worth doing. So what was that like kind of breaking out of, okay, I'm happy here, but, but, but what's left? Like what's next? How did you break yeah. through that? Um, I think the biggest, I guess the transition from FAU to Chicago state was probably the big, the, this is probably a great example of that. Um, I think for me, I like challenges. Um, mm -hmm. and this, this opportunity is a huge challenge, right? It's a rebuild it from the ground up. Um, you know, in a school that is um, not really well known and the things that it's known for, they're not really positive things to be known for. So um, for me, I think the, you could be comfortable at a place where you're just maintaining. Like I could have, I mean, you could stay and be comfortable at a place and just maintain, but mm -hmm. I'd like to, it would be, I always thought it would be really cool to look back 10, 15, 20 years from now and say, hey, like we built this and remember when there weren't, there was no, there was no apparel deal. There was no footwear deal. There was like, remember when, and now look at it. And so that's what kind of intrigued me specifically about this position, because it's an opportunity to really be transformational transformational for the university and for the student athletes so for me that was the thing um it's scary it's every day is different but I also think sometimes you have to scare yourself into moving um mm -hmm. into like taking a leap of faith and so like you could be very comfortable like like it's you could be very comfortable every day wearing a white shirt and a black pair of pants like every single day but right. Some days, maybe you want to put on a blue shirt and a black pair of pants and just change it up a little bit. And I, that's kind of how I viewed coming here is like changing it up a little bit, um, but also making something better. I think you, I think that there are very few and far in between, there are few and far opportunities there that you can really um, build something in division one mm -hmm. in college athletics. Like most places like I could have been at Michigan for 30 years and not made any impact because it's Michigan is what it is. Same thing at Ole Miss. Like at Ole Miss, you can be really good at your job and make and be there for tons of years, but your impact is just capped because the foundation was set in 
1925. Um, here at Chicago State, there's not we're setting the foundation essentially so it can be what you you make it and so that's that's what's been intriguing for me um it's given me a lot of gray hairs and sleepless nights and all of those things but um at the end of the day if i could look back 10 years from now and chicago state is doing things that no one would have thought of then i've made impact that's lasting um and i think quite honestly as community to take it back to the communication side of this, I think that's what um, communicators live for relationships and live for impact. And that's, I mean, that's what I'm doing. I'm going to turn the slide on real quick. Sure. All right, that did nothing. Okay. Oh, no, that, cool. Um, what's it like being a builder in college athletics? Because as you just said, I mean, at, at that level, those opportunities are few and far between. Um, as, as you've said, uh, I was excited because I'm a builder myself. I have this podcast that kind of success by accident. Um, and then I have a, uh, actually my small business is right behind me. You can't see it, but my small business has been success by accident considering my demand is quadrupled since last year. But um, I was excited when I took the Madonna job because we didn't have, and this is no knock to Zach and he's, like I said, and I probably spoiled the surprise, but he's on this season and he fully admits that he was completely hands off with social media, completely hands off with, you know, what our teams were doing, what their brand styles, what graphics they were putting out. He's completely hands off. I was really excited because I got to come in and I got to, uh, you know, reorganize. I got to standardize. I got to have the conversations and um, I got to, uh, you know, implement my strategy and, and it's it's working at our level. Um, what's it like being a, a builder in college athletics, just on the personal, on the personal side? Um, you know, I think it's, it's, it's rewarding, but it's also hard, right? Because inherently when you build something, you sometimes have to break things. Um, and mm -hmm. you have to, um, change things and do things differently and change is hard. Um, I think that, you know, the biggest thing that I would say is that in college athletics, cu building culture is the basis of whatever you do. And if your culture is on shaky foundation, it's going to be hard to build. Right. Uh, so mm -hmm. for us, it's been about really trying to in invest in people, um, trying to invest in the right people, trying to get the right fit, um, in all of our spaces, you know, from, the equipment manager all the way to the head men's basketball coach, head women's basketball coach. Um, we want to make sure that we have the right people in place um, to lead our young people. Um, and so it's, I would say that being a builder in college athletics is, it's rewarding, but it can be, it can be very challenging because you're inherently going to have differing opinions with people. Um, you're going to have, and that's, that's any, that's anywhere, right? Like yeah, not everyone's going to have the same opinion of things, but I think that the goal is to get everybody pulling the rope in the same direction and for the same cause. And so for us, it's, you know, implementation of small things, right? And this, you know, it, you know, these are our values. These are our pillars. Like, this is what we want everyone to, to buy into. And you know, it takes time and trust. I mean, we've only, um, next week we'll mark our, my athletic directors one, one year at Chicago state. And then the following month will be my one year at Chicago mm. state. So, um, we've not been here very long. Um, and I think that just trust is important. It's important from all factors. And so it's just about building the trust and then having, making sure that people understand that you have the the best interest of the staff and student athletes in mind. And even if it doesn't make sense right now, which it may not, um, at some point it will make, it will make sense. So. Yeah. Having the, the people in the room with the varying opinions of you, I mean, that's not a personal attack on you as much. I mean, some people might make it that way, but like you said, and I try to remind some of our coaches, like, hey, we're the we're same team, same goal. I've only had to do that one time. But um, those are important. As much as you hate them, as much as you do not like, you know, 
that one person in the room speaking up, like, what about this? We haven't thought of this. Nobody like, like but you gotta I, have those people. You, you have to have those people. And I think I'm going to reference a really dumb movie, but they, but they, they, uh, they made a great thing in it that I think of a lot. Um, World War Z with Brad Pitt. There was a movie. Okay. It, they said in it, um, when there are 10 people in the room and the first nine agree, it's the duty of the 10th to disagree. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I agree. Um, and if for, uh, for full disclosure, I am likely probably always the 10th person to, I'm always the person that is playing devil's advocate or poking holes in something. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, just because I think it's important. I think it's really important to have dissent. And I don't want to say dissenting. I feel like that's a really strong word. But mm. you need a you need diversity of thought, diversity of opinion, diversity of um, you know just idea uh, to be able to move forward. Because quite honestly, sometimes the people that are sitting in the big chairs don't see it as clearly as the people that are sitting in other chairs. So it's important that people feel comfortable saying and speaking up um and you know hey have we thought about this um i think that's really important as you build anything yeah well we've been talking for uh, quite a long time we're bumping up against time here i have some uh, fun questions i'd like to ask at the end if, if you're available for all right um favorite memory of your professional tenure boy um this is a tough one um favorite memory Golly. Okay. Um, I'm going to go with when <laughs> Ole Miss beat Alabama in football. Uh, the first time, um, I want to say 20. I have to look at the Seven. Uh, no, I want to say it's 20. It's either 16 or 17. Who was. Yeah, I'll look it up while you're talking. But... Um, but it was unreal. We were at home. Um, everybody stormed the field. They took the goalposts. Um, here I was. I was in charge of player interviews. I had um, our quarterback, Bo Wallace. Shout out to Bo, who actually just got a job at Pearl River Community College, where he's going to be the quarterback's coach and co um, offensive coordinator. So, Bo, very, that's very. That's the quarterback I'm thinking of. Yeah, that's who yes. I was trying to remember. Who was the quarterback? Bo Wallace. So. Bo Wallace. Um, that first time was really just something special. Um, I have a picture of it still. I mean, it was the year when both um, uh, Ole Miss and Mississippi State were both ranked in the top three at some point. I still have the Sports Illustrated cover with um, one of my favorite defensive players, Trey Elston, on the cover. Um, you know, that was just a fun time for, for everybody associated with the program. Um, and then we got to do it again in Tuscaloosa the next year, which, you know, no uh, – or maybe it was the year after. Um, nobody, nobody expected it, um, and I got to do the same thing with uh, Chad Kelly um, as the quarterback. And uh, Chad and I, I ch affectionately called myself Chad's bodyguard um, many, many times. So those are probably two of my fav my favorite memories. Awesome. Uh, what about on the other side of the coin? What's your biggest horror story if you have one? Hmm. Not so much a horror story, but like, you know, sometimes when you're working with many sports and you're pulled in different directions, like travel can be a bear. Oh, yeah. um, so I will never forget. I was working at Michigan. Our men's soccer team was playing in the University of Maryland for a chance to, I can't remember if that was a, the go ahead to go to the college cup or if it was the round before. So, and I had a women's basketball game in the Big Ten, Big 12 challenge where they were playing at Iowa State. And the games were a day apart, I think. And so I traveled with men's soccer. We ended up winning the, the game. I had to bolt and get on, take public transportation to get to the airport to take a flight to, I want to say, I flew into not not Ames I flew into a, a small airport had to take a cab to Ames I didn't get to my room until I don't know maybe like two o'clock in the morning it was a two o'clock game like it was just like I was I was 
strictly running on adrenaline because of the soccer win. And then I can't remember if we won or lost the women's game the next day, but it was just, it was one of those things where I was like, this is not normal. This is not normal. <laughs> right. Fair, fair. Um, what's one thing you're interested in to learn more about in this profession? Um, I think just leadership and management. I think that um, those are things that yeah, you can always learn more about. Um, I think management is something that I need to continue to work at. Uh, I think that, you know, I, I need, that's a, that's a weakness of mine. I think managing people, um, I'm good at it to some degree, but I think that there's a lot that I can learn. So learning management, I think would be good for me. Uh, when you're not in the office, uh, what are you doing to have fun? Um, watching sports probably. <laughs> <laughs> I watch fine. a lot of college basketball. Mm -hmm. I watch a lot of college football. My fiance is really like, why do you do this to yourself? Like, Saturday, like I'll do whatever you need me to do, but uh, that's my thing too. Um, next time somebody's in Chicago, restaurant or bar recommendation? Ooh, um, so Lou Malnati's pizza is really good. There is also, um, so there is a bar in Hyde Park. It's a hotel actually, it's called the Sophie. Um, and it is a black, it's a black owned, a black owned hotel okay. and their bar there is, it's beautiful, first of all, but they have wonderful drinks. They do something called wind down Wednesdays. It's a really cool place to go. Um, I recommend it to everybody. And it's also not far from the Chicago state campus. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Um, if anybody had any questions for you on the follow up you would be the best way to do it. Um, anyone can email me, um, my, you can find me on the Chicago state website, or you can follow me on Twitter. Um, Jess pool, a two. There you go. Awesome. Well, uh, Jessica, thank you very much for coming on. We all really thank do appreciate so it. Thank you. Thank you.